Man, that was awesome, and I got to hear that both times from Jay, and uh, I love Jay's heart for the people he's with. One of the things Jay shared with me after the first service was like, man, thanks for sharing your heart, and he got emotional in the first service, and he said, I, I wish I could control that, and I said, no. I said, I'm glad you can't, because if you can control that, then you might be the wrong person for the job you're doing. I think about Jesus when he looked over Jerusalem, and he, he had compassion over them. And one of the things I love about the Downtown Rescue Mission is you did hear a lot of programs where the Downtown Rescue Mission is all about people. And one of our core values at Rivertree is people over programs. So if, if you have more questions or you just want to encourage Jay and say thank you and, and get a prayer card, go see him after service at the table and you will not regret it. Hey, I want to welcome you here, whether you're a visitor or whether you're watching at our South Campus or whether you're streaming online. I'm, I'm really excited about the text today. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark 14, and we'll start in verse 66 in a minute. And kind of as you go there, I want to give you just a couple words about the next couple of weeks as we get ready for the downtown campus and the launch of the downtown campus. Our final service at River Tree South, which is our, our kind of Goldsmith campus, is next Sunday. So if you've been involved in that to any degree, thank you. If you're down there this morning, thank you. You've made room for people to know Jesus by sharing the gospel and sharing your life and in some ways sharing your seats. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, and then after that, March 22nd, we'll start a new one-month Sunday service schedule as we get ready for the downtown launch. We'll have three services, 8 o'clock, 9.15, and 10.30. So if you normally come to this service, just come at the normal time. But if there's any way you can make the 8 o'clock service and make room for people, because we're going to be adding about 250 people back into this room, that would be so helpful for all of us. Also, with launching the downtown uh, campus, it gives us a great opportunity to serve. One of our core values is to worship one and to serve one. And if you're not involved in our children's ministry, River Tree Kids, I would encourage you to get involved. The worst thing we could do is launch a downtown campus and, and maybe not have adults ready to receive the families that will come to both campuses. So we would love to connect you. And if that piques your interest at all, go see Cassie Duckett in the children's lobby today, and she'll help you learn how you can get involved. So just wanted to give those announcements. Uh, we didn't have a welcome video today because we wanted to give more time for Jay. So Mark 14, 66. Let's dive in together today. And Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came to him. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and she said, you are also with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little time, while the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man of whom you speak. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So here it is. One of these stories, if you've been in church for any amount of time, that you're somewhat familiar with. It's one of these stories that we look at and we've heard it. Maybe we were taught it growing up. Maybe we kind of even know kind of where this story is going and how it ends. 
But it's so fascinating to me, and I think one of the reasons that this has been discussed and preached on and taught on and even books have been written about this for so long is because when we look at the life of Peter, often we can see ourselves in Peter's place. We can see ourselves doing the opposite of what we've promised God, doing the opposite of what we've promised others, failing at our deepest and most sincere pledges of allegiance to God. We can see ourselves kind of coming undone and unraveled and broken in this moment. And, and I think every one of us in this room has this in common. We've all had deep and meaningful relationships that did not turn out the way we long for them to turn out to. And maybe we can even relate to Jesus in this moment to some degree. Because here's Jesus. He's in the other room. He's being beat. He's being mocked. He's being spit on. He's being made fun of. And one of his best friends is just outside, yet unable to come to him, even denying knowing him. And maybe it's in that moment when we look at Jesus's life, we understand that because we've had relationships that have failed. We've had people turn their backs on us. We've had brokenness in our own lives. And I would suggest to you this morning, that's why this passage is so significant to us. Because it's a story we found ourselves often in. I mean, the whole account of Peter's life kind of leaves us as the readers feeling a little helpless, right? And a little hopeless. Like when I get to the end of that passage, I want more for Peter and I want more for the story. Because here's a guy that, that seems like he utterly failed and we're reading about it 2,000 years after his failure. I mean, could you imagine that? Could you imagine your worst moment, especially your worst moment with God, being read by Christians for the next 2,000 years? And make no mistake, the only reason we read about it is because he told John Mark about it. Because Peter was the, the source that Mark had. And he was willing to go ahead and expose himself and say, let me tell you how I failed. And the reason why is because Peter's heart was grasped by the gospel. Because Peter had been so transformed and so changed by Jesus that he was able to admit his brokenness and his failure with no shame and with no guilt and with no condemnation. Because when this story is set against the context of the whole Bible, we are not left with a man on his knees weeping. No, we are left with incredible hope. Because the hero of this story is not Peter. And the hero of this story is in the next room willing to lay down his life for Peter. And it's interesting because sometimes we can look at Peter's failure and think, this guy is just a wimp. Like he's got a servant girl coming to him and he won't even say he knows Jesus. Come on, bro, right? Like that's what we think. But yet he has tons of courage. I mean, he's gone further than any of the other disciples. He's warming himself by a fire with the very people who he just kind of got in a scruffle with in the garden and who could arrest him and to put him on trial. He doesn't know what to do. And as he's taking his eyes off Jesus and he's taking his hand away from Jesus, as he's no longer clinging to Christ, he begins to crack. The rock that God said he was build his church on, we begin to see the cracking of that rock in this passage. No longer was it enough for Peter to cling to Christ. Even though that would have been good enough, he just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it in his own ability. He couldn't do it in his own strength. He couldn't do it even with his own pledges of allegiance to Jesus. No, he was coming completely undone and unglued in this moment. He needed something more. 
He needed a reminder that even if he was letting go of Jesus, Jesus was going to the cross for him. That Jesus was faithful to him. That Jesus was pursuing him. That's what Peter needed in this moment. And I love it because it's a great reminder of, to us in this room this morning, right? That no matter how far we fail, no matter how great our pledges are, our faith is not a failure because we fail. No, our faith is as sure as God's faithfulness to us and his love for us. And it's interesting because when you look at this text, you can think the application is this. You can think, okay, well, if Peter hadn't let go of Jesus, if Peter hadn't taken his eyes off of Jesus, then he would not have failed. And we can leave this room and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Read my scripture more. Pray more. Keep my eyes on Jesus more. And why those are all good things. That's not the point of the story. That's not why this text is included in scripture. No, this text is here because of Jesus' faithfulness to Peter. It's interesting, all the way back in Mark 14, verse 29, we begin to see these promises that Peter made. Look at this with me. Peter says, after Judas betrays him, and Jesus kind of says, hey, all of you are going to turn your back on me. Peter says, no, even if they all fall away, I won't. And I love that, right? Like, yeah, this is the kind of guy I want to go to battle with. Like, he is ready to do this. And as he makes his promises to Jesus, like Jesus just looks back at him and says, man, you're not going to be able to keep this. Look at verse 30. It says, and Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, the very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now just think about how disheartening this would be for a moment, right? Like I tried to put myself in Peter's shoes because I, I, I really wrestled with this text a lot this week. I thought about putting myself in these shoes and I thought, well, what if I was at like our church staff meeting and Ross looked at the whole staff and he said, guys, you're going to all betray me and fall away by the end of the week. I'd be like, this is weird, right? You know, and I might look away and I might say, well, you know, Stephen Barnett, he'll betray you. And <laughs> And, sorry, I don't know why. I don't know why I said that. I'll just, Alan might betray you. But Ross, man, I told you at Waffle House, like I'm in this for the long haul with you, right? And then if he was like, no, when the rooster crows twice, you'll have denied me three times. I'll be like, man, I don't even know what a rooster sounds like. And why that's ridiculous. I, I love Peter's passion in this moment because he comes back to the Lord and he doubles down. Look at verse 31. But he says emphatically, oh man, what a promise. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. We get it. He moves into the garden with Jesus from this moment. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus just looks at James, John, and Peter and says, guys, will you just stay awake and pray for me? Because my soul is deeply troubled and he can't even stay awake. And then the guards show up to arrest Jesus, and he's like, all right, man, I said I was going to die. So he pulls out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. Jesus is like, no, man, you're missing it, and heals the ear. And he's still following Jesus, though. You still see this courage. You still see this desire within Peter to do what is right and to keep his promises to the Lord. He's come so much further than anyone else. We're told in Mark 14, 65, that Jesus is being spit and beat and mocked in the next room, and Peter is right outside, helpless, unsure what his next move should be. I mean, imagine it with me this moment. You follow Jesus this far, 
You've seen him arrested. You've promised never to forsake him, but you can't do anything to help him. He's being mocked. He's being spit on, and this is unsettling. I think Peter is stuck, right? He's unsure what his next move would be. And then the first confrontation comes. A servant girl comes to Peter, and she says, you are with him. And it's interesting because it's at this moment, Peter kind of realizes he's outed, and he does not like it at all. And I get this, because sometimes, because of what I do, I don't always want my first interaction with people to be, hey, I'm a pastor. I love pastoring, but that changes the relationship quickly, okay? I'll illustrate it for you this way. Three years ago, I was in Delaware at my cousin's wedding. I was staying at a hotel. I was in the elevator with my dad. We were coming down. My dad, for some reason, I guess because he's a dad, looks at the people across and says, hey, my son's a pastor. (laughs) I'm like, well, elevator rides are awkward. Get ready, because this is about to get more awkward. And they just start confessing their sins to me. (laughs) And I'm like, I just need to get out of this elevator, right? Like... And it's weird because sometimes people will come up to me and they'll just apologize to things when they find out I'm a pastor. They're like, I am so sorry I cussed. I'm like, I probably have too. Like, it's okay. Like, like, let's work through this together, right? But man, whenever you kind of get this tension of, of kind of being found out, something changes. It's what's happening with Peter. It changes the relationship right there. And as much as I don't like being out of it, I'm, I'm normally not concerned for my comfort or my safety in these moments, but Peter absolutely was. He doesn't know if they find out what's going to happen to him. He knows they've arrested Jesus, and, and he knows the other disciples have fled, but this could be him too. His life is on the line. So he denies knowing Jesus. And, and like being so familiar with the story, I think we forget that before the Bible got to us, it was written to other people. So just try to put yourself in the minds of of hearing this for the first time. I mean, you are rooting for Peter, right? If you're an early Christian, you're like, man, this is Peter. Like, surely he won't fall away. This is the guy who walked on water. This is the guy who made big promises. This is the guy who had a sword and cut off some guy's ear. Like, just a chapter before this, surely he won't deny Jesus. And then he does it, and you're like, no, no. But then the rooster crows, and there's hope, right? Because as soon as the rooster crows, it's like an alarm going off. And I don't know if you're like me, but like, man, sometimes when my alarm goes off, especially this morning, like, I wasn't ready for it, you know? But Peter doesn't even seem phased by it. There was a study done for 12 years in Jerusalem about roosters crowing. Someone had too much time on their hands. But they did this study, and they realized the rooster didn't just, like, crow. Crow for three to five minutes. So he is just going off. Yet Peter seems totally unaware. Peter's sleeping right through his alarm. It's a warning sign. It's God's love and his grace saying, buddy, like, don't do this. I'll illustrate for you this way. Last Monday, um, man, I had put my eye drops in. I had to do that every morning. I put those in put in my headphone to listen to a song we'll sing in a little while, one of my favorite songs uh, that Alan introduced me to. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this, this music. And as I'm listening to this music, my wife is like, hey, are you going to get out of bed? I was like, yeah, five minutes. And, and I'm a morning person for the most part. And then the next thing I know, someone is tapping me on the shoulder, breathing above me. I'm like, oh man, I'm ready to fight. You know, like what's happening? Not really ready to fight, just so you know. Um, I just was scared. 
And it was my wife, and she was like, hey, she's fully dressed, looks beautiful as always, and she's like, hey, that five minutes turned into an hour. I was sleeping through my alarm going off in my ear with my favorite song going, unaware that the world around me was happening. And I wonder how often we do that in life. How many times does God send someone our way and say, hey, warning. Hey, this is an alarm. Hey, turn back to me. We just hit the snooze button. We just say, hey, just a little longer in this moment, Jesus. And his grace is good. And my prayer for you this morning is that some of you, like God has been trying to get your attention, right? And man, you would awaken to what he's doing. That you would have hope again. That you would see the failures and the struggles and the anxieties and the fears that you might have are not his discipline or displeasure with you necessarily, but they're his grace in your life because he is pursuing you and he wants you to wake up to what he's already doing in your life. It's interesting because uh, Peter moves a little further where he can still see Jesus at a distance and he moves into the courtyard as he moves into the courtyard, the little girl brings some other people with her. And she says, this is the guy who was with Jesus. And once again, Peter denies it. He's like, I'm, I wasn't with Jesus. And it's interesting because then all of a sudden the bystanders come with her and they start to think about it. And even at Passover, when there's thousands of Jews in the room or Jewish people in not just the room, but in Jerusalem, like, like a Nazarene, a person from Galilee, Galilee is pretty distinguishable. And they say, nope, this guy surely was one of them. And it's at this moment, Peter absolutely loses it. If you've ever watched reality TV, you know it's not real, but this is kind of the moment producers hope for, right? Like he is flipping tables and cameras and punching people and he's yelling and he's screaming and and he calls down a curse on himself if he's lying and the people across from him if they're lying and then he begins to just cuss and swear and he becomes completely unglued. In this moment, Peter is undone. And I would just offer you this, as he gets louder, And as he makes more denials, he's just raising his hand saying, I am a liar. I have lied about this. They know it and he knows it. He can't move past this moment. And and friends, I just want to offer you this. Make no mistake, Peter failed in this moment. Like Peter fell. And I think it's easy to make excuses for Peter, but I think if all we do is make excuses and say, oh, no big deal, buddy. Like, you can do it again. We miss something else. And I think the reason that we can look at Peter's story and make excuses excuses for him and see why he was trying to protect himself is because we're uncomfortable with our own weakness sometimes, right? Like, we're uncomfortable with the seriousness of our sin. But I would just offer you this, that if we miss the seriousness of Peter's sin in this moment, we cheapen the grace and the mercy that God offers him later in his life. To cheapen this moment, to cheapen Peter's denial is to cheapen the cross. It's in this moment that I probably most relate to Peter, and maybe it's something that you and I have in common. Because this, this, this moment that I look at Peter's life is like, I've done that. Like, I've been to conferences or church or Bible study with myself, right? And I've been like, God, like, I'm never going to do that again. 
God, even if everybody else falls away, like I will stand firm for you. God, I make these promises to you and then fill in the blank, I have blown it. But here's what I love. Here's what I love about scripture. Jesus does not leave Peter in this moment on his knees weeping and broken. No, in Jesus' infinite tender mercy, a God who is sovereign and controls all things, even the rooster's crowing, allows the rooster to crow a second time. And it's in this moment Peter actually does wake up. He does become aware. He starts to realize this is exactly what Jesus said. When Jesus says, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. I think it's this moment that Peter actually finally comes to an end of himself. The rock has finally cracked completely. Friends, make no mistake. The rooster crowing wasn't an I told you so moment by Jesus. It wasn't Jesus rubbing Peter's failure in his face. No, it's a great reminder that Jesus already knew this was going to happen, and he loved Peter in spite of this. It's interesting because in Luke's recounting of kind of when Peter said, Jesus, I'll never deny you, he adds something for us. And look at this with me. Ross talked about this the other week, but I want you to see it again in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, so in other words, when you've come back, strengthen your brothers. I love this. Like Jesus looks at Peter and says that this moment's going to happen. He guarantees Peter, you are going to disown me. But he looks at Peter and says, but in this moment, I am praying that your faith would not fail. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm praying that your faith would remain strong because your faith is in me, not yourself anymore. Peter had put all his confidence, all his trust, all his hope on his ability to cling to Jesus. But when he lost it completely, Jesus said, you will lose it. Your hope, your, your desire, your strength is going to come from me. And man, that is great news for us. Because the next time you fail, because you will. The next time you blow it, the next time you do something that you said you wouldn't do, you can realize that your faith is not determined by your failure. No, your faith is determined by God's faithfulness to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And then you can walk with confidence because of that. I think his, his faith in himself fails, his faith in Jesus, the rock that never cracks, the firm foundation, the cornerstone of his faith is being strengthened. Look at what Luke 22 says in verse 60. Because this is a detail that Luke gives us that Mark didn't give us as, as Peter's failing. It says this, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. So he's denying Jesus. And then immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and see this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh, man. Like, it's that moment I've been in that, that like, I didn't think somebody was in the room and maybe I'm not saying something kind about them and then they're like right there. But it's worse, right? Because it's Jesus. I mean, could you imagine? Like now he's no longer in the next room. It says that he looked right at Peter. And for whatever reason, through passion plays and movies and just 
ways people have wrote about this, often this scene can be really guilt and shame producing. It can be like this, I told you so moment again, but like, I don't want you to miss what's happening. I want to suggest to you that, that Peter doesn't, or Jesus doesn't look at Peter to provide guilt or shame. No, he looks at Peter to provide hope. He looks at Peter to remind him that I see you. I see you in your failure, battered and bruised Jesus with blood dripping down his face. says, I see you in your failure and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to the cross to deal with this once and for all because I'm going to accomplish what you could never accomplish. It's almost like when Jesus looks at Peter, he's looking past his failure and what's going on on the outside and he's looking at his heart and he says, I know you can't fix your heart. I know you can't fix this deceitfully wicked heart, so I'm going to the cross with my perfect heart and my perfect love set upon you. His love was in the midst of failure because Jesus sees who Peter is becoming, and I would say this to you, Jesus sees who you're becoming. Like if you walk in this room feeling like you failed and you're blown it and you're too far gone, God of this universe looks at you and he sees a greater future for yourself. Sees one where you are connected to him and his life and his death and his burial and resurrection and you're proclaiming that. See, Jesus sees a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to do good works. And then he sees that. And I love that. David Benner, Benner in his book called The Gift of Being Yourself, a book Ross gave me two years ago, says this in chapter three, God cannot help seeing you except through the eyes of love. That God cannot help seeing you except through the eyes of love. And friends, that's why Jesus went to the cross. He knew we needed help. He knew we needed rescue. He knew how, no matter how big our pledges of allegiance to him were or, or our promises, that we couldn't keep it. And there's a question, right? So what do we do with failure? What do we do with the pain it brings? What do we do with the hurt that it brings in our lives and the lives of others? And I would just offer you this. Let it take you deeper. Like, let it create a thirst in you and a hunger in you that says the only thing that will truly satisfy me is you, Jesus. Like, I've tried it on my own. I've tried kind of, kind of keeping this on my own and my own ability and my own strength and just having an appearance of godliness so that nobody else would kind of see what's going on inside of my heart. But instead, let it bring you to your knees and experience the faithfulness of Christ in your life. What I love about Peter's story is this, that we're not left with him weeping outside the courtyard. No, after this moment, we're told he actually goes back to the other disciples. He finds them and they pray. They're scared, but they're together. And then one day he's just like, you know what? I'm going fishing. Like he's just going to go back and do what he knows. He's catching no fish. And then in John 21, we're told this, verse 5. Actually, verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. I love it. That picture right there captures me. It goes back to Lamentations 3.23 where it says, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Jesus is standing on the shore and he said to them, do you have any fish? They answered no. He said, cast it on the other side of the boat. 
to the cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Isn't that how good God is? The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's, it's the Lord. And when Peter heard it, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and he threw himself recklessly into the sea. And then look down at verse 10. Or actually look at verse 9. When they got out to land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place where he laid the fish in the bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went around aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, there were, the net was not torn. And in verse 12, Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Peter was greatest failure was around the fire where he was warming himself and his redemption would come on the other side of the cross and the resurrection around the charcoal fire where Jesus invites him to the table where Jesus has made room for him and he restores Peter what a meal it must have been it was a moment that Peter would never forget. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended into heaven and Peter is leading the early church. In fact, we're told that he is the first person to preach the gospel publicly, probably very close to where this failure took place. I love that about our God, that he can, he can take even the places we've failed and use them for his glory if we allow him to do so. And as he's standing in Jerusalem the high priest, the Pharisees, they don't like it. They arrest him. And look at what Acts 4.13 says. It says this. Now they saw the boldness of Peter and John. No longer is he a coward. They see boldness with him. And they perceived that they were uneducated common men. And they were astonished. And look at it. And they recognized what? That they had been with Jesus. Man. So, so they kind of gather together. And they just command Peter and John like, hey. We're going to let you go, but you have to stop talking about Jesus. And look at Peter's response in Acts 4.20. For we cannot speak of what we have seen, or we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. This time it was undeniable. This time he couldn't back down. This time he would not deny that he had been with Jesus. In fact, he would declare it. For the nations, because when you are transformed by the grace and mercy of God, and you have come to an end of yourself completely cracked and ruined, God will restore you, He will mold you, He will make you into His masterpiece, and then He will use you for His glory. So, this morning, if you are in this place where you've come to an end of yourself, you are in good company because you are at the place where you are shattered so God can pick you back up and restore you and mold you, as Jeremiah 18, 1 through 5 would say into his masterpiece. But I'll offer you this too. Some of you are in this morning and you relate to Jesus. You've been betrayed. You've been hurt. A relationship has devastated you. When you were going through your worst moment, your best friends weren't even there to help you. And you say, what do I do with that? Let it take you deeper. Let it take you to the cross. Let it take you to the one who knows what it's like to be abandoned, who knows what it's like to be bruised, who knows what it's like to be hurt, and just rest at his feet. He loves to use broken people. 
You know, I read this this week, and I'll just read it to you. Peter's failure started when he let go of Jesus. But the good news is Jesus didn't let go of him. And maybe you're at this point this morning, you feel like your grasp on Jesus and your faith is slipping. Maybe it's never been stronger. Peter's probably hadn't been up to this point. But failure's around the corner. Man, realize that Jesus is holding on to you. Let's pray together. As we pray, um, I'll just tell you, we're going to sing a new psalm this morning. And uh, the band is definitely going to sing this song over you, whether you're watching here or you're at South. But man, if the words start to resonate in your heart, feel free to join with them in that. Because I found myself in the first service, like I had to confess those words because they were so good to me. So Father, I love you. I thank you for grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you that our failure doesn't define our faith, but you do. Lord, I think about the words that you spoke to Jeremiah about the potter's house in Jeremiah 18. This is the word that came from Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you a message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another part, shaping it as it seemed best to him. So God, I believe this this morning. We were just rocks that have turned into clay, broken. And you are shaping us. You are turning us. You are folding us. You are smoothing us so that we could all discover what we most want most and what could satisfy us the most. Lord, some of us need somebody to pray for us today. So Lord, I pray for the prayer team, God, that you would encourage them and give them people to pray for. But Lord, most of all, I pray we would see the beauty of the cross today. And if somebody hasn't put their faith in you, that they would come to the end of themselves today and they would experience new life. Lord, thanks for clinging to us. We love you. In Jesus' name.